Hello, City Hope. It's good to see you this weekend. I want to welcome the Mobile Campus, Foley Campus, Baymanet, and then the Holman Correctional Facility and Fountain Correctional Facility. Can we just give everybody a big old Memorial Day? Welcome. Yeah. I want you to know this. You may know this. You may not. I want you to know that uh, our worship team does an incredible job of preparing to lead you into worship. Um, been around a while, heard a lot, seen a lot, and I'm telling you, our worship team is one of the best in preparing and leading you. Now, in saying that, your part is to enter into worship. I challenge you, whether you feel like it or not, whether you can sing or not, you're covered. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But if you'll start opening your mouth, it's hard to sing with your mouth closed. Uh, open your mouth and start singing, but I don't feel like it, or I don't know. Just when we put the lyrics up, other, I promise you by the time the worship is over, you'll feel different. You hear me? But, yeah. But if you're just here as a spectator and not going to, you're not going to feel any different. So why come if you're not going to change? That's, that's why we're here corporately to worship. We're here together corporately to worship together. And in that atmosphere, we change. We feel better. So I, I encourage you to do that. And, you know, I, I have been known. Well, I won't even say that because that was in the early days when I was young and stupid. But uh, I have been known just to go over and, you know, point people out that we're just sleep, not worshiping, but I wouldn't do that anymore. Well, it's hard to believe that we're in the last part of too good to be true. And we've been answering the question, Grace, is it too good to be true? I encourage you to go back and pick up any of the pieces you missed. My purpose in this series was to show you and explain to you sustaining grace. Uh, last week, for instance, we, we talked about God's grace saves us completely and totally through our faith. And some that teach faith, teach grace say that we don't have a part. We do have a part. And, and our part is, is our faith. We, we, you know, we, we can receive God's grace, and we have to have faith to do so. The message this weekend, I'm going to talk about the other major question that comes up about grace when they're teaching on grace, and, and that is, do our works matter? Because we're saying, you know, we're saved by grace and, and not by works, lest any should boast. And we're going to look at that. So I, I want you to understand that what I'm going to share with you today is very important. It's not only important for you to understand so that maybe you need to articulate it to someone else, but it's also maybe you need to understand because there's not clarity. Maybe you already know this. But what I'm going to share with you today, for me, is the most important message of the whole series. And it's the weightiest, okay? So, everybody look at your neighbor and smile and say, loosen up, buttercup. See, I, see you, di you didn't do it. You didn't do it. You got, you got to loosen up. I want to begin by looking at the same text we looked at last weekend. It's the key text. It's in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace we have been saved. Notice the past tense nature of salvation. Okay. Through faith, that's our part. We talked about that specifically last weekend. And that not of yourselves. 
it's a gift of God. Because it's grace, it's a gift. Watch 9, verse 9, you've heard it. This is where we're going to look at. Not of works, lest any should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ. Notice that phrase, we'll come back to it. Created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want to look at two of the uh, t- two words in this line, uh, prepositions of by and for. And let, let, me, let me say it this way. We are saved by grace for good works. So l- let me reverse it. So we're not saved by works, but saved for good works. D- did you get that? I need to say it again. Okay, I will. We are saved by grace for good works. We are saved by grace. We have to nail that down. That's what I'm hoping we've understood. And we, we, we have to nail it down. And then it goes on and it says, created in Christ Jesus. There's something there to think about. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen, when, when, when you got saved... You were then created in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation. And when you become a new creation, the reason he created you was for good works. So I want to make it real simple, okay? You ready? Real simple, boys and girls. Good works are good. It's good to do good works. And the reason we call them good works is because they're good. Not bad. Are you tracking with me, boys and girls? That's good. You did real, real good. So we are saved for good works. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions. Don't answer them out loud. Are we judged then by grace or by works? Yes. The answer is yes. That's like asking you, do you want on your chocolate sundae, hot fudge sundae, do you want whipped cream or nuts? Yes. Above. Here's another question. For your salvation, are you judged by grace and works? No. For your salvation, you're judged by grace. But are your works still judged? Whether you're a believer or not, yes, they're still judged. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every, would you say every out loud, the word out, every? God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Revelation 20, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who who were in them, and they were judged each, will you say it again? Each one according to his works. Now, that that verse is talking about lost people. The next verse we're going to be talking about saved people. 1 Peter 1, 17. And if you call on the Father... 
how many of you that are believers, when you pray, how many of you call on the Father? Hold your hand up. Come on, boys and girls. Okay, so this is talking to you then. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each, say it with me, one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, or the word is reverence or awe. But notice that phrase, your stay here. It's, it's like we're, we're just visiting, and we are. We're just visiting. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each, will you say it again? According to his works. Revelation 22 and 12. And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every, will you say the word every? Everyone according to his word. So you're either an each or an every. But in every one of those six verses I just read, you're going to be judged by our works. So here, here's the question of the message. How do we understand grace and works? How do we understand grace and works? Well, I'm going to give you two words that will help you understand this. See, we have to learn when we look into the Bible, when we study the Bible, look at the Bible, we have to learn to distinguish between our belief and our behavior. So I'm going to tell you the difference, okay? I'm, I'm going to show you the difference. Here's the first one. Our belief determines where we spend eternity. Our belief determines where we spend eternity. Our behavior determines how we will spend eternity, whether you're saved or lost, believer or unbeliever. Okay, so, listen, our belief determines where we will spend eternity. You go to heaven because you believed in Jesus. And that word believed is, 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 is caught up in the word repent. But you go to hell because you don't believe in Jesus. Our behavior determines how many rewards and the degrees of responsibility and treasure we will have in heaven. And by the way, listen, I don't know if you know this or not, and you need treasure in heaven. Well, why, why would I need treasure in heaven? Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He didn't say store it up for my Father. He, he, he didn't say, well, you know, my Father and me, we decided to do all the streets and gold. We're running a little short on cash, so if you go ahead and send it ahead a little bit. He, he didn't say that. But apparently... We will be doing some type of business there because he said you need to send it on ahead, store up for yourselves in treasure. So our belief determines where we go. Our behavior determines, even if, even if a believer, how much responsibility we will have in heaven. You know the story in Luke 19. He talked about the ten minas where he gave one and he got back ten. He gave one and he got back five. And, and, and then he said to the one who had ten, you're faithful. You'll be a ruler over ten cities. And then there was the guy over five cities. You, you understand that we're not just going to float around on clouds and eat grapes in heaven, don't you? Listen, let me tell you what heaven is. It's a perfect earth and a perfect heaven. That's what's going to make heaven. Perfect earth, perfect. In other words, there's no sin. No sin. No sin, no corruption. Your belief determines, determines where you spend eternity. Your behavior determines how you spend eternity. And by the way, there are degrees of punishment in hell. And I'll talk about it in just a few minutes. So we need to understand that we need to understand the judgments. Okay? So, so listen, I'm not trying to scare you in any of this. You just need to know something. Okay? You need to know it. 
as a pastor, I'm telling you the truth. So there, there are two judgments. Some people say and teach there's only one judgment, but there are two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and there's the great white throne judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ, every person there is a believer. That has already been determined. Every person at the great white throne judgment is an unbeliever, and that's already determined. See, it's not determined at your judgment whether you go to heaven or hell. It's determined on this earth. You don't determine it when you get in front of that judgment seat. You determine it here. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You get to determine which judgment you attend, but only while you're alive. And God forbid, but if you walked out of church today and got in your car and had a car wreck and you, were, and you died and you haven't believed in Jesus, you, you've determined your judgment that you'll attend. So you have a chance right now while you're on the earth. Once your life is over, you have no other chances. You, you need to know that. You, you just need to know it. It's your decision. Nobody's going to make you do it, not even God, but you need to know that. So there's a judgment seat of Christ. There's the great white throne judgment, and believers are at one and unbelievers are at the other. But watch this. At each judgment, both of them, your works are judged. So I want to cover those two judgments. That's my two points. I want to cover what happens there. So here's the first one, the judgment seat of Christ. So I want to show you a couple verses, and the first one is written to believers. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all, that's all believers, every believer, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone, every believer, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each, there's that word again, each one may receive the things done in the body while you're here on the earth according to what he's done while you're on the earth, whether good or bad. Romans 14 and 10, watch what this says. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Watch, for we shall all, believers, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So let me describe to you what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. But first, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, on, on the next text. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 3, but let me give you some backgrounds. 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians is actually the third letter he wrote. And I know that sounds confusing. We don't have the first letter. I don't know if it just wasn't good enough and God kicked it out. I don't know. But we don't have the first letter. So Paul writes the Corinthian church a letter. They write him back. And then he writes the first Corinthians that we have in our Bibles. And, 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 and we know it's his second letter because in the chapter 5 he says, in the earlier letter that I wrote in chapter 7, he says, he says it three more times, okay? Or six more times. So he says, now concerning the things you wrote me. So we, the letter we don't have, he wrote them, they wrote him back questions. And he's answering them from his, first, uh, his second letter that we have in our Bible. I know it's really confusing. So one of the things he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 is there has begun to be a division in the church. <laughs> Go figure. Have you ever heard of such? Some were saying, well, I was led to Christ by Apollos, and, and, he, and he taught us this, this, and this, but some were led to Christ by Paul, and you're taught this, this, and, you're, and we're all different. And I'm paraphrasing, but Paul said, oh, 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 listen, listen to me, church. You can have differences, but you can't divide. It's carnal when you divide. Don't be divided from other believers, even though you might have differences. 
My Lord, we have so many camps in America of denominations because we're splitting hair over this little thing and that little thing, and there's no unity of the body of Christ. That's what Paul's warning about right there. Okay? So, now, in all of that, here comes the conversation I want to look at. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. Now, here's Paul. He's rolling right into this. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Now, I was taught in Sunday school, I was taught, and some still think this, that he's talking about Apollos. He's not. That's not who he's talking about. He was all, Apollos was already laying a foundation too. The other that he's talking about that's going to build on the foundation is you and me. That's who he's talking about, you and me. Let each, there it is again, each one take heed how he builds on that foundation. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, now watch the next three elements, wood, hay, straw, it's important that you notice those because those three elements are flammable and there's a fire coming and this is for believers. It's for believers. Each one's work will become clear for the day, capital D, that's the judgment, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each, there it is again, one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Listen, that, it's not salvation. You're not going to lose your salvation there. That's not what he's talking about. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire, because we're saved by grace, but our works matter. So you can be a believer and do eternal works or temporal works. And the things you do for eternity will last, and the things you don't do for eternity will be burned up. And you'll receive a reward for the things that you did with eternal value, but you won't receive a reward for the things you did for temporal value. Now, I want to look at another passage, and a lot of people don't connect the dots. This is a famous passage on, on being rewarded and even losing rewards, and, and people don't tie it to this context that we're talking about, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Here's what he's saying. Your motive. Check your motive. Why do you do? When you do a serve day, when you're giving, when you're doing all these things, check your motive. Now, someone might know that you did it, but you didn't do it for them to be, to be seen. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in, in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Because surely I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret, watch, will himself reward you openly. You will either receive rewards or lose rewards depending on how you do good deeds. But notice in that verse, this is what really messes me up in my heart. The Father himself is going to give rewards to you. Yeah, we're all going to meet the Father. And he himself is going to hand you the rewards in front of everybody, he who sees in secret. I mean, you know, it's not like there's going to be a gazillion people there and 
you know, and, and we have in our mind this old bent over, white haired, long beard guy, God's going to come walking out on a stick. And, 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 but, but you notice the word himself. We have in this mind that God's this old, you know, bent over, gray headed guy that's going to come out, because he's from the South, right? And he's going to say, All done good. And somebody in the back up there said, What did he say? I think he said they need some more wood. No, the, the Father himself is going to reward you personally. God the Father, I believe the first time you meet him, he's going to be, that's where you're going to meet him. He rewards you openly. 1 John 2, 28, watch this. And now little children, that, that's not little, that's, that's believers. Abide in him. Now watch this. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Why, why, why would we be ashamed at his coming? I mean, we're looking for Jesus to come, but when he comes, why would we be ashamed? And he's talking to believers in this verse. Why would a believer be ashamed when Jesus comes? It's real simple. When you realize that you've wasted your life. Oh, oh you put your faith in Christ, but you never went to the next level. You, 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 you never got around to the next class, to life classes, you never got involved in groups to grow. You, you didn't go through freedom so you, your, your, your soulish man can be set free. You, you never became a tither. You never got caught up in mission projects and legacy, legacy projects. You never witnessed. You never led one person to Jesus Christ. You, you're not praying. You're not in the Word. And, and, and you never went on with Jesus. You just attended church. You really believed, but you never made time count. That's why he said in that verse, abide in him. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're going to be ashamed as a believer. So there's a judgment seat of Christ. Here's the second judgment. The great white throne judgment. Everybody breathing? You okay? I, I, I told you this is a little weighty, okay? But you need to know. You, you need to know. I, I'm going to be held accountable for telling you this, if I don't tell you this, okay? To a different degree. Uh, James 3.1. So watch. Great white throne judgment. Every person there is an unbeliever. And I want to show you how theologians came up with this name, the great white throne judgment. So look at this, Revelation 20, 11. And then I saw a great white throne. See, that, that's, so, that's not even deep, is it? And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small, and the great standing before God, and books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. So watch, we have books being opened, and we have a singular book, the book of life. What I just read, you just saw belief and behavior. You believe in Jesus your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, but there are books that are recording your works. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Dead, death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Now, I told you a few minutes ago that there are degrees of punishment and rewards. So, so watch. Just ask a question. You don't have to answer it. Well, the guy who believes in Jesus, accepts Christ, gets saved, but never shares Christ, never witnesses, 
never prays, never tithes, never gives generously, will he receive the same reward as the guy who witnesses and shares his faith and prays for people and spends time in the Word and tithes and gives? Will he receive the same reward? No. No. We serve a just God, okay? I had a friend of mine years ago when I was a children's pastor, he'd say, remember, God is a scorekeeper. He keeps good score. He doesn't cheat like us on the basketball court, you know. Oh, no, that was, no. No, he keeps good scores. Another question. Will the guy who does not believe in Jesus, but he's a good guy, but definitely says, I'm I'm not giving my life to Christ. I don't believe in God. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to become a Christian. He lives a good life. He, He has a good job. He works. He works hard. He has a family. But let's say his family are believers, but he never accepts Christ. He, he's going to be separated from God. He's going to be separated from his family for all eternity. But will he receive the same punishment that Hitler will, who killed 11 million people, 6 million Jews, 500 million, uh, 5 million other people, 11, 11 million people? Will, will he, they receive the same reward? No. He won't because God is a just God and he's going to judge each and every person according to his works. So I said all that to get to here. Watch. Listen to me. It matters how you live. You hear me? Campuses, do you hear me? It matters how you live. It matters what you do on this earth. And according to Scripture, if you believe, it's going to alter your behavior. God's unmerited favor, grace, gives us desire and power to want to worship God and serve God. And by the way, the, in, the old, in the Old Testament, the word worship and serve are, are basically the same word they use in the Hebrew. But we go to heaven because we believe, or we go to hell because we don't believe. Now, watch this. I'm going to show you degrees of torment. So watch. Don't leave. Not that bad. Matthew eleven twenty. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Watch. This is Jesus. He's rebuking cities where most of his miracles took place. He rebuked them because they did not repent. They did not believe. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sodom, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sodom were, were, were renowned at that time for tormenting prophets and having idol worship. So he's referring back to these two cities and he says to these people, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable. Here's what that word means in the original language, less suffering. I say to you, it'll be less suffering for Tyre and Sodom, which is in the Old Testament, in the day of judgment than for you. And this is Jesus talking. Watch where he's going with this. Watch. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable, less suffering for Tyre and Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who were exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, he calls out another city. Hey, Capernaum, if my mighty works had been done in, in your city, then Sodom, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable, less, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now this is amazing. So watch, let me tell you what he just said. They would have repented, and my father and I would not have destroyed Sodom. Sodom would have, Jesus is saying, Sodom would have been here today. 
if they had seen my mighty works. See, those people didn't even see Jesus. He wasn't on the earth yet. He didn't, they didn't see the miracles. They didn't see what Jesus had, was doing. And he said, they didn't even see this. So, so get this picture. You may have been to, to, to Jerusalem, but if you go to the Galilee, this Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, on the northwest corner is Capernaum. Been there. You go to the northeast, it's Bethsaida. And, and then you go up from there and you go to what was, used to be Chorazin. Those three cities make a triangle. Scholars called it the evangelical triangle. Why? Because in that triangle is where Jesus did the majority of his mighty works. So let me modernize what was just said. Stay with me. Let me bring that up and call it, instead of an evangelical triangle, let me call it the buckle of the Bible belt. And here's what he's saying to us today. You live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, and you don't accept Christ, and you don't worship me, and you don't serve me. And today in the 21st century, there are people who who don't live here, but they live in very dark, desperate places. But it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for them than it will be for you because you've heard the message over and over and over and over. You've been in the Bible. We've got, you've got churches on every corner. You've got spirit-filled churches on every corner. You've got all of this going on and nearly every block, but it's more tolerable. Wow. Is that heavy or what? Come on, breathe, breathe. Get the oxygen back in the room. Don't you think that God put you in the Bible belt, the buckle of the Bible belt on purpose? And it wasn't just to hear the message and get saved 42 times. Or you catch over on another phrase, well, you really not, never got saved to start with. We get in these hang-ups and we, we, get, we get stalled and we get paralyzed. Right here in the wealth of what God is doing. It's just like what Jesus is talking about. All these people who saw the miracles, the dead get up. They, they, they saw the lame walk, him touching a leper, which he wasn't even supposed to get near the leper. He said, if those people in Sodom and Gomorrah had seen me and what I was doing, they would have repented. That's strong. That's powerful. So listen, I'm not telling you that to guilt you up. I'm telling you that to, to rev you up, to stand up. God has blessed you to put you here. And most of you know more about the Bible. I've been in churches in other parts of the country. And one of the, one of the hang-ups in, that country, in those countries is people can't read or, or people, they've never seen a Bible in their life. And so you're trying to teach them and they don't know. Listen, we have more devices and more Bibles on your devices. We've got every, every podcast. You've got all this stuff in the world. But are your works going to be burned up like hay and stubble? Are you doing something with what God's given you? Oh, listen, God's got a verse for unbelievers too. Romans 2, 5. But in accordance to the degree, with your, heart, with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up, notice that phrase, treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There again, it shows that every person will be judged according to their works because God is a righteous judge. He's going to judge righteously. But notice the phrase, you're treasuring up. Remember what Jesus said, you ought to store up treasure. He said that to believers. Unbelievers are are treasuring up wrath. That's what we just read in Romans. 
You're treasuring up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. I, I know this is strong, and I'm not trying to scare you. And here's how I feel. Look at me. Here's how I feel. M- most of you, I, th- I think I'm your pastor. Some of you may be visiting, and I'm not your pastor, and that's okay. I, I feel like a doctor who's giving you a factual report, and, and, I, and I'm telling you, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. If you don't, you're going to hell. But, but listen, please listen to me. If you have this thought, if you, if, you, if you think like this in the back of your mind, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you think like this, well, I go to heaven because of my belief, and if my behavior gets me more rewards, well, then I'll just believe in Jesus, go to heaven, but I'll live like I want to. If you have that thought and you go down that thought, and that's the way you live your life, look at me, you're not saved. Did you hear me? You're not saved. You say, well, pastor, that's pretty old. Let me tell you why it's bold, because it's God's word and the anointing of God is speaking that through me. It's the anointing of God. And someone needs to tell you the facts. And here's the reason the Bible says, yes, we believe, and that is we get saved, but there's a prerequisite to believing. They're so close, and that's repent and believe. Repent means to change the way you think. You can't believe until you change the way you think about your life. And if you say, well, I'm just going to live like I want to, I'll get in because I said that prayer. I just won't have any rewards. You're not going to do that. It's not going to work. That formula will not work. Let me tell you why. Because God is a righteous judge. I'm not trying to scare you, but I feel like the doctor who's, who told you that you have a deadly disease and you're going to die from that disease. And there are people who have heard that report sitting right here listening to me right now. You've heard it recently. You're going to die from that. But, but listen to me. But we have a cure. And I want you to know that every one of us have a deadly disease and it's called sin. But I want you to know that we all have access to the cure, and the cure is Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. I've said this for years, and many times I've asked us to ask ourselves a question. Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me in this message? Because I'm trying to wrap my head around it. No, no, no. no. I, I, want, I want you to wrap your head around it, but I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? If you're a believer and you feel like you ought to be doing something, doing a good thing, that's good. That's a good work. Do it, whatever it is. But today some of you may have realized you're, you're really not a believer because you're living like you want to live. You, you haven't surrendered lordship to him. And you need to come to God. Maybe you're a believer and you're, you, you think, well, you know what, I may be ashamed that it's coming. Because I'm not, I'm, not I'm, not, I'm not storing up there. I'll tell you what, we're, listen, I've always said this. We're going to be totally surprised when we get to heaven because we're going to see people we didn't think would be there. And we're going to see people ruling over cities that we had no idea they would be rulers because they don't go around blowing their horn telling everybody what they've done. But then we're also going to see people that we thought, man, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be the mayor of the city. And being a mayor of the city in heaven is going to be different than being a mayor here because here you get paid chunk change and, and you get all this chaos there. You're going, you're going to get the rewards of heaven and there's no chaos there because there's no sin there. 
So if you're in the political realm, when you get there, maybe you'll get transferred into that and you won't have all this chaos to deal with and all the sin because it's going to be pure. I'm just telling you, if you need to give your life back to God or if you need to give your life to God or if you need prayer for any area of your life, bad report, finances, job, relationship, spouse, whatever it is, come down in just a moment. And I want you to, there'll be people here, I just want you to, to get right with God. Just walk up to a person, I want to get right with God. Or walk up to a person and say, I don't want to be ashamed that it's coming. Or I want to go to heaven. Just keep it real simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. But if you need prayer for any area of your life, in a moment a pastor's going to come, he's going to give you directions on what to do. But before he comes, I want to pray for you. Okay? Lord, I thank you for all the sheep that you have placed me over to lead. And I'm a sheep. You're the great shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. But Lord, I take the responsibility because I know I'll be judged differently than the sheep. But Lord, I'm not using a scare tactic. I'm I'm, I'm being real and being honest and being open because I want people to know you and follow you and take all the resources they've been given by being blessed and, and, and living in the Bible Belt and do more for Jesus and serving God than our community's ever seen before. Not because we're keeping score for what's in heaven, because we really can't tally that up. But we are focused on people knowing you more than we're focused on what we want and how we want to live. Bless those who hear this word. Let nothing steal the seed of this word. Let it produce a harvest of 30, 60, and 100-fold in this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.